Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy weekend, everybody. I'm joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. We are doing this morning a, it's no longer tax time, but we wanted to do tax time show. It's tax time is over. Let's get prepared for next year. Perfect. Thank you. Justin did the title for the show, the topic. So that's great. Yes, we're going to talk a lot about taxes today. One of my favorite topics, just the idea is to go through some of the changes in the tax legislation this year. And we that won't be too boring. That will actually be pretty exciting. And we can elaborate on a lot of different things. Just some numbers that people should know some pertinent changes and some things that people can be thinking of now that we're still early in the year, things they can do, adjustments that they can make and things to think about before the tax year comes to a close. So I thought we would start this morning by going through a bunch of numbers and I promise we'll make this fun. There's in the tax code, there are contribution limits. There are income restrictions regarding contributions to investment accounts. There are tax brackets. There are, there's a lot of different things that we can go through that affect your, not only your taxes, but your investments, your retirement investments. And these numbers are generally updated every year. A lot of them are updated every year. Some of them are updated every couple of years, but we just wanted to go through some of the specifics and we will make it super exciting radio. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I was going to say, you promised earlier. I'm not sure we can make that promise, but we're going to do our best. (laughs) The people that know that they'll be bored by this have already tuned out. So (laughs) we'll make it pretty exciting for everybody that's left listening. But I, I always am pretty good at making taxes exciting and relating right. them to real life and to your personal investments and finances. Yeah, I was thinking that this would be a good topical show because of tax time. Just We just got through with tax time. But yeah, maybe people don't want to talk taxes right now. Maybe they're done with it. And they said, and now I'm bringing up a, a sore subject. So hopefully people are okay with the tax discussion this soon after April 15th <laughs> but or you know April what every- 18th, whatever it was this year. But do you know what everybody wants to talk about is tax planning right? and being saving as- money. That's right. And being as efficient as they can as possible from a tax perspective. So let's call that our, we'll call this sort of our touching on tax planning type show. Everybody likes to talk about that. Yep. All right. So where should we start? I have a, I pulled like a two page. I know you have one as well. Yeah. Just an update on numbers. And I guess we can just talk about, first of all, tax brackets. And again, I don't think we need to get into these too detailed. This is a set of numbers that's much easier understood looking at it visually. And actually, if anybody wants to look at it and follow along, honestly, Google, just Googling 2023 tax brackets. And this is what I do in the office. I Google 2023 tax brackets. I click on images and there's a lot of images available (laughs) out there. Easy to read. What are the tax brackets this year? So if anybody wants to follow along, that's a good way to do it. 
Yep. You um, cannot. And, yeah. I can't memorize them either because they are, most of them are all inflation adjusted. So it's a, yeah. and they're weird. They're these weird numbers, right? Yeah. It's $364,200. Yeah. They are. Well, I know ballparks, but yeah, if you want the exact numbers, generally speaking, Google is your best friend here. Yeah. And I actually, I might actually do that myself because looking at the format that I'm looking at, it's, it's really hard to read, but basically we have, Wait, one, two, three. I think we have seven, right? One, two, three. Yes. Yeah, seven different tax brackets. So in yep. the U.S., we have what's called a tiered tax system or a gradual tax system. Yep. So the more taxable income that you have in a given year, not only the higher your taxes are in terms of a dollar amount, but the higher your the percentage of your income you're paying in taxes. So, for example, we have so we have a we have brackets that go all the way from 10% taxing you at 10% of your taxable income all the way up to 37%. And these are federal taxes. And in Massachusetts, for example, state taxes would be in addition to that. So the tax brackets are 10%, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35, and 37. Again, these have changed over time. And these are actually low compared to long term, very like if we look back decades and decades, these tax brackets are pretty low. There was I don't have it at my fingertips, but I know I've gone over this in a show before, but there was a period of time throughout history where the highest tax bracket was like 91 percent or something crazy like that. I'll find it before the show's over. But and even just what what was it? Five Five years ago, when the five, six years ago, when these new tax bracket came out, the highest bracket back then was 39.6. And that that bracket is actually set to come back in 2026 unless unless there's further legislation. So these brackets, the 10, 12, 22, 24, 32, 35 and 37, these are set. This tax code is set to what's called sunset or go away unless there's further legislation. And I believe that's at the end of tax year 2025. I think that's right. Yeah, I saw some. Yeah. I saw a webinar coming up on that. I remember in that past, and I said, "Oh man, that sounds like a long time in the future." Yeah, and here uh, we are. And then here, we got to start preparing yeah. for it. I do have yeah. the tax rates, the marginal tax rate, just because you brought it up. It has not been. We dropped below the fifty percent rate in nineteen eighty six. Yeah. So it was fifty in nineteen eighty six. In the, it topped out in nineteen forty five. Forties, yeah. Area war. Ninety four percent. Ninety four percent. That's crazy. But even post-war in the 50s, it was 91%. And then it yeah. went into the 70s. In the 70s, it was still in the 70s. Yeah. This was for very high income earners and it was right. gradual. Most average income earners weren't paying taxes. Grad- yeah, this you is know, marginal. Average, yeah. average earners weren't paying taxes at that rate, but the very wealthy in that period, in those years, were paying taxes at crazy high percentages, in my opinion. It just And especially compared to where they are today. Tax brackets right now are historically pretty low based on the federal debt and deficit. It's I have a hard time imagining they'll go much lower. It's a little bit easier to imagine that they'll probably go higher from here in the next couple of decades. But I guess we'll see what legislators do about that. Yeah, we don't need to go through specifics. I don't think of of where the income rates fall, but people should know that, for example, a lot of... Let's do a few. I think just a few. Maybe we'll just pick out a few of the... Sure. I think maybe the, the more... Oh, I don't know. 
more popular or average, or word, but. Or average income earners or <laughs> yeah. 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 So for a married filing, married couple filing joint, the 22% tax bracket starts at taxable income, just under 90,000. Again, we'll try to use round numbers. That's not the actual number, but just under 90,000 in taxable income is where the 22% tax bracket starts and that's a jump from 12 to 22. A few of the jumps are very minor, right? So we have a 10 and a 12 and then we go all the way up to a 22 and a 24 and then we jump from a 32 and uh, from uh, up to 32 and then we get 35, 37. So those big jumps are create more of an opportunity for tax planning, right? Either either avoiding going up into if you're going if you're jumping 10 whole percentage points, that's pretty material whereas the jump from obviously 22 to 24 which happens at $190,000 in taxable income is it material i guess yes depending on how much depending on your definition but certainly not the opportunity that that avoiding that that 10% jump is. So that's, I think we, we do a lot of tax planning around that area, especially with retirees whose incomes tend to yeah. drop low. But I mentioned that one. Important for people to know that you're not in the, if you're married, you're not in the 37% tax bracket until your taxable income is over, what is that, $693,750. So that's a pretty high level of earning to get into that 37% tax bracket. Yep. Um, yeah. And- also important yeah. to note that the that whatever income tax bracket you fall into is based on your taxable income. And there's a lot of things that go into calculating taxable income, but notably any deductible retirement contribution you're making to a deductible 401k or an IRA would reduce your gross income. And your taxable income is after retirement deductions and also after standard or itemized deductions. So taxable income is after certain deductions and and it's less than gross income in most instances. And standard deductions now still really high under current tax code compared to all throughout history where we used to have a lower standard deduction plus exemptions. Now we just have a higher standard deduction in 2023. A married couple standard deduction is $27,700 and a single person has half of that $13,850. So where you fall in the brackets is based on your taxable income, which is after those deductions. Yep. All right. Anything else you wanted to get into regarding income tax brackets. That's income tax brackets. I think capital gains brackets are interesting to talk about (laughs) based on what we do, I guess, based on what we do where... I should well before because you mentioned the standard deduction. State and local taxes are still capped at ten thousand dollars, which means we, so we're still in a situation, especially because these numbers are inflated. Although that ten thousand dollar state and local tax deduction doesn't appear to be inflated, right? Because it was ten thousand dollars a few right. years ago. You still have very few people itemizing. I think on I don't have the average number, but you have to you you have to have essentially deductions if you're married filing jointly of eighteen thousand dollars in on top of that ten thousand state and local tax deductions. It's getting, it's fairly rare for people to itemize these days, unless you're in the higher brackets or just have a lot of deductions that pile up in a given year. Yeah. I think it's less than half of people itemize now. I want to say it's the last statistic I saw was only about 30% of people itemize. Many people before used to itemize, but now that mortgage interest is capped. And now that the standard deduction is so high, most people do take the standard. Like, so mortgage, important to note that mortgage interest the deduction for mortgage interest is limited to loans of $750,000 
or is limited to loans of up to $750,000. And that's what they call acquisition indebtedness. So remember back in the days where like home equity lines, if you use them for for anything, right, you could buy a car on a home equity line, you could use your home equity line for for anything in your personal life. And you used to be able Mm -hmm. under prior tax code to deduct the interest on that home equity line. That is no longer the case. This is going back. I think I think if I'm reading this correctly, this was going back to tax year 2018, that was phased out and home equity line is only deductible if used on acquiring a home It's for what they call acquisition indebtedness. Um, any like remodel or purchasing cars and stuff like that is, is no longer deductible when you use your home equity lines for that. Double check that with your CPA. But that's my understanding of that. I had to <laughs> disclose that one a little bit. But no, we're um, not actually accountants. So, we, yeah, we should have disclosed that up at, at the front thing. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I am somewhat of a tax professional with now my master's in taxation, but I'm not a certified public accountant. <laughs> so, yeah, that so many people use it. I, and I find from conversations with people that it's still fairly common practice to want to keep a mortgage for the tax benefits of the mortgage. Some people still have that in their their minds, like, oh, I'm not going to pay off my mortgage early, even though I could, because it benefits from me from a tax perspective. And you and I could have always rebutted that (laughs) probably because interest you pay to the bank is always more than what you would save in taxes. But particularly now under this tax code where m- the majority of people are taking an item, sorry, a standard deduction and not itemizing that only benefit you benefits you if you're itemizing. And also mortgages now have to be pretty large, actually with interest rates higher, that's a yeah. different, but mortgages have to be fairly large in order for the interest on the mortgage to be greater than the standard deduction. Um, yeah, I actually haven't I haven't reviewed that lately, right? Because I have yeah. the new interest rate regime is so new that I haven't I haven't put in a lot of six and a half, seven percent mortgages into the software and actually calculated out what the interest is. But my guess is if you did a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage now at at a six and a half percent interest rate, you'd probably get a pretty substantial principal and interest payment. So maybe we are in a situation where we're gonna see that thirty percent number of people itemizing probably going up. I'm not sure if it'll be yeah. I don't know how high it will be, but I'm sure it probably is on its way up. Well, if we the- figure it this way, a $400,000 mortgage right now, if I use six and a half percent, that's $26,000 of mortgage interest, which is slightly less than the standard deduction. The standard deduction yeah. for a married couple, 27700 is six and a half percent of about four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. So if your mortgage is more than four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars as a married couple, then that then the tax benefit might would benefit would likely benefit you. But if your mortgage is smaller than that in today's interest rate environment, then it probably doesn't. But a lot of people with the smaller mortgages have lower interest rates because yeah, I'm going to guess because just because real estate is so expensive now, especially in this area of the world and people with smaller mortgages maybe have lived there for a while and have benefited from the refi boom that we had the last several years and all that stuff. Anyway, if you're keeping a mortgage because you think just because you think there's a tax benefit to it, it might be time to talk to your tax professional about that or your financial advisor about that, because that might not be the case. It might not actually be benefiting you. Okay. How about, how about capital gains tax brackets? We also have, so I guess I'll back up in the world of investing in real assets like real estate, for example, or investment assets. 
Um, Stock bonds, mutual funds. Yep. Yep. And if you hold those investments inside of a what we call a non-retirement or a non-qualified or a taxable account, growth of those investments upon sale um, capital gains can be realized. If there's growth of the investment and the investment is then sold, capital gains can be realized. Again, this is we're not talking about if you're selling a stock or a mutual fund inside of a retirement account, an IRA or a 401k. We're talking about if you have an investment account, a brokerage account just in your name or joint with your spouse or in a trust or something like that. Or if you're selling a piece of real estate and there's growth and a capital gain realized, we have different tax brackets for capital gains. And again, we have gradual tax brackets where the higher uh, this is taxable income or adjusted gross income. Hold on. Taxable income. Sorry. So based yeah, on tax. taxable income, again, we have a gradual we have gradual brackets for capital gains. For example, married filing jointly. If your taxable income is less than eighty nine thousand two hundred and fifty dollars and you had some capital gains realized that year, you're actually in the zero percent federal capital gains bracket. And that, and that syncs up with the the end of the 12% tax bracket with your income taxes. And I think right? that's so the only one that syncs up with a bracket. The other two don't, I think. I believe um, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So if you're in the 10 or the 12% bracket with taxable, in, taxable income lands you in the 10 or the 12% bracket and you had realized some capital gains, including the actual amount of the gain, then there's no federal tax due. There could be state tax due, however. Um, yep. Then which, we is a, that's, we should start there. that's that's a big that jump. That's a 15 percent jump. Right. If you think about when you're doing tax management. And again, I know most folks out there, if you're working, don't have a lot of tax management opportunities. But the, when we're working with pre-retirees and retire, people who are working part time in retirement and may have some more some control over what they are going to earn. This is the kind of thing that you can try to avoid, right? The jump up from your capital gain, the capital gains in your portfolio going from zero to 15%, pretty substantial. Yep. I wanted to just highlight that fact that if you can, if that's the kind of thing that you can avoid doing, it is certainly worth spending some time on. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Because the next bracket is where most most people would fall, right? In most situations, because the next capital gains bracket, the 15% bracket. Yep. For 2023 is if your taxable income falls between $89,250 and $553,850. That's a huge bracket. (laughs) That's like most people. Most people with investment portfolios, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, And then we have the highest capital gains bracket. We'll talk about the Medicare surtax in a moment, but the highest capital gains bracket of 20% is for 2023 married filing jointly if your taxable income is more than 553,850 bucks. Um, so three capital gains brackets, zero, 15, and 20% federal. And in addition to that, we have what's called a Medicare surtax, which I think hasn't always been around. I think that was. I think that's Obama era. I think, 20, right? Okay, 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 okay. I thought um, it was, yeah. But yeah, I can't. It probably not 2018 because that would. I don't. No, think that you're right. I then, thought yeah. I saw it here somewhere, but oh, the patient protection, it, Affordable yeah, Care Act. Sorry, the Affordable Care Act. Yep, yep. Okay, so in addition, if you're married filing jointly and you have investment income, dividends and capital gains, 
and your adjusted gross income, it's not a taxable income now, it's adjusted gross income to figure out the Medicare surtax, is more than $250,000, then you have an additional 3.8%, what's called a Medicare surtax, in addition to your capital gains tax. So some people, uh, if you're in that 15% federal tax bracket, plus if you live in mass, you're going to pay 5% capital gains, I believe. I don't know if it's exactly 5 or if it's five percent Three, but five-ish percent state. Yeah, five. It's now exactly five. It was 5.3. So if you're in the 15% federal bracket on a capital gain, plus 5% to mass, and if your adjusted gross income is more than $200,000 as a single person or $250,000 as a married couple, you could end up paying taxes actually at 23.8% on that capital gain. And someone in a 20% bracket could be paying 28.8% with yep. the federal and state in Massachusetts anyway, and the Medicare surtax. So there are some, sometimes tax, as you mentioned earlier, some tax planning opportunities, some people that in a given year might have some low taxable income and they might have some gains that they could realize in a portfolio. And if they could still do it and stay in that 0% federal tax bracket, there might be some planning opportunities to take advantage of there. So consult your advisor um, in that regard. Yeah. Anything else on that one? No, I don't think so. No, yeah, again, that's the kind of thing that, you know, unfortunately, and I know we'll talk about this later in the show, sometimes capital gains are, they can be uncertain, right? It's not always the kind of thing that you can control. If you own investments in mutual funds, you're not always in charge of when a capital gain shows up, especially with those kinds of jumps, right? At married filing jointly at $89,000, you're jumping from zero to 15. And then when you hit 250, you're up, you're up 15 to, to all of a sudden you're at 18.8. It's just a, it's the kind of thing you want to pay attention to. And we can talk later in the show about maybe some ways to, to minimize that on certainty if you're in an investment portfolio that has some capital, some surprise capital gains, which does happen from time to time. Okay. We are going to take, we have to take a break actually, and we're going to continue along. Maybe we'll talk about some retirement contribution limits and some eligibility restrictions and things like that. We're having a tax planning type show. What's your official name for the show? I don't have it in front of me. Tax time is over. Tax time is over. Let's Let's get get ready ready for for next next year. year. All right. Love it. We're just taking a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. You can find out more about us at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMerrimack.com. And also, we are on your podcast app. Search McNamara on Money. If you ever miss any shows, we turn them all into podcasts. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Did you know that there are almost 10,000 mutual funds out there? Not to mention almost 2,000 ETFs. And what's an ETF? Given these overwhelming numbers, how do you go about selecting what's appropriate? Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. If you're ready to let a professional worry about your investments, visit us at McNamaraFinancial.com. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We're having a tax planning type show. My brother and business partner, Justin McNamara, and I are your hosts for the morning. Good morning. Good morning. We are... Tax time is over. We're planning for the upcoming year. We're going through some numbers and tax-related numbers, financial planning type, personal investment type numbers, and things for people to know related to tax planning type stuff. So we we talked about tax brackets. Actually, we spent a lot of time talking about tax brackets and <laughs> stuff did. like that the first segment. <laughs> and we were worried that we wouldn't have enough content for the show today, but I think we'll be fine. So we're going to continue on some of the... I wanted to get into like 
retirement contribution limits, the different types of retirement plans available to people, eligibility requirements, things to think about, et cetera, et cetera. So let's get into qualified plans. So retirement plans, more commonly known. And there's all different types of retirement plans. Most common, I guess, most common one or most common household name, I don't know, 401k, right? (laughs) So for 2023, the contribution limits to 401ks and actually 403bs, they have the same limit, were adjusted upward, decent amount, about 10, actually almost about 10%. So this year in 2023, Um, Someone under age 50 can add $22,500 to a 401k or a 403b. Someone who is 50 or older in 2023 can add another... 7,500, right? I don't see it. It's a great, it's a great round number this year. It's 30,000 if you are over the age of 50. So it's an additional 7,500, the catch up contribution, they say. So a total of $30,000 can get into a 401k as what they call your, we call that your salary deferral or your personal contribution. And that does not include what your employer may match for you or profit share for you. So that's a good amount of money, 22,500, under 50, $30,000 over. Yeah, I think we should just stop there because that jump is so significant, right? Obviously, we had substantial inflation last year, so they inflated that number pretty significantly. If this is the kind of thing that you want to review now, depending on how you have your 401k contributions scheduled, right? Not everyone got a raise of 10% last year. Right. And so if you were, if you were on pace last year to put in $25,000 and your income didn't increase substantially, you probably want to review that and say, Oh, am I on track to max out my 401k if that's what you're planning to do? Right. Because that jump is so big that it may have jumped over what your scheduled contribution are going to put you out at. So just right. take some time to review that one. Take some time to make sure you're on pace if you want to be maxing it out. Because some folks are some folks have their 401k deductions done in a flat dollar amount, right? They say, I want to put in $1,000 every two weeks or whatever the number is. And it may not always be a percentage of salary. So the percentage of salary generally would keep you up somewhat with inflation, if assuming you're getting inflationary raises. But if you're, especially if you're on a flat dollar amount, you're probably going to be well behind the max this year. Right. Let's sidetrack for a moment because I get this question quite a bit regarding, or I have these conversations quite a bit with people that are able to max their 401ks or 403bs. There are some people that like to do it early in the year, and there are Mm -hmm. some people that like to spread it out through the year. I have a few overachieving, great cash flow type clients that like to (laughs) max it out by like March. (laughs) And that's not the most common, but I guess just touch, we'll touch on this for a moment. I guess my general thinking is if you can max out your contributions earlier in the year, I think that's not a bad thing as long as that works for your own cash flow. If you can put yourself on pace to put in more the first six or eight or 10 months of the year. And if you're not like incurring credit card debt to do, of course, like if you have enough after tax money in your paycheck that you can meet all your expenses and you can do that, I think that's great. I, in most years, we would have... Uh, most years in the financial markets, we have a positive return in the, of the markets by the end of the year. So if when that's the case, like in most years when markets go up, having put more money into your 401k earlier in the year and benefiting from more money in earlier in a rising market is also a good thing. 
Sometimes we have markets that fall either throughout the year or toward the end of the year. And then maxing out earlier in those years would not be the best, but it's not like it would be detrimental. It just wouldn't be the best from a rate of return perspective. But I generally think if people can do that, I think there's nothing wrong with it. And then these retirement plans are managed in such a way where you're automatically cut off when you max out and then your paycheck increases by a certain amount. But I don't have a problem with it. And I'll stop there for comment and what discussions you have with clients on that. Yeah. Yeah. The math is pretty obvious. And again, it's not a year to year thing, but any strategy like this, you would want to use a kind of a long term average, right? Is it better to max it out earlier from a rate of return point of view? Certainly it would be because of the in a market in a in an environment where the market continues to appreciate, which is we're all investing on that assumption. So maxing it out earlier should work. Again, I think it's it's a the cash flow concern is really the one, right? We, I've had discussions with some clients saying, oh, I, I max out in October, but then when I do that, I just end up spending all that extra money, right? So that all of a sudden my 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 substantial 401k contribution, which is maybe a thousand bucks a month or more, all of a sudden that cash flow comes into their life and they just spend it. Is that the most effective way to do things? Is it more effective to I can afford I can afford to save forty thousand dollars a year. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna schedule my 401k to to end with my last paycheck. And then I will set up an additional investment plan for that extra money. And that way I'm being more effective with with my cash flow. I mean, it's just a, again, is it better from from an investment point of view? Yes. Is it better from the point of view of everyone's specific life? Not necessarily. And I don't know that it's, unless you're really maxing out early in the year, the math probably doesn't work. You're only talking, I don't know how... I don't know what your discussions with your clients are. March is really early to max out that 401k. I have one or two do that. Yeah. If you could, if you can do that, then you have that extra nine months of appreciation over, I guess, over a long period of time that may be material, but for the average person, they're yeah. just, it's, they're getting it done in September, October. I don't think that's all that material. We're talking yeah. about a few months worth of, of extra of extra earnings. So some people might appreciate the extra yeah. cash flow right before Christmas time, however, if they there can go. early. It's perfect. Yep. Your Christmas budget can come yep. to you. Yep. <laughs> I just one quick thing on that because I came across one situation where yep. we it's if you if people are going to max out early in the year and if your employer matches your contribution. It is important to make sure, check with your employer on the specifics, that you're not foregoing any match for the tail end of the year. Because it's my understanding that, and I came across one situation in my career where there, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, 401k, the match on a 401k plan, the plan can be written in such a way that the match is based on annual contributions or every contribution. Oh. So if and I think it's very and I think most 401k's um the match is based on someone's annual contribution. So the employer is like as they're contributing they're matching and then if there's a period of time where they're not contributing there's no match but then there's a true up calculation at the end of the year to make sure that the employer matched based on the annual contribution. But there again I came across one situation where a client had a 401k where the match was based on like it was either monthly or a biweekly contribution. So yeah. th- if they weren't contributing at all, like if they maxed out early and they were going several paychecks without a 401k contribution, they weren't receiving the match. Wow. So the employer was getting away a little bit with, and I don't know if they were doing it intentionally or not, they were getting away with not having to match 
that person's full based on their annual contribution. So they were losing a little bit of money. So that person, we ended up stretching it the entire year. I think it's really rare. And I talked to a 401k provider about that at the time. And they said it's pretty rare, but these plans can be written in such a way where the employers only have to match when an actual contribution goes in. And that's wow. That seems huh? <sighs> yeah. That's, so maybe that's a, yeah. And, good, and also, good luck getting that answer from your four hundred one k provider because those oftentimes it's difficult to even obtain information on your specific four hundred one k. Right. And then you get into like chunky cash flow issues where you had this huge bonus and it's paid out in March, and all of a sudden you're way ahead on your four hundred one k, and they're getting if and especially. All of these folks are generally speaking higher income. And right. so if the employer is getting out of three or four months worth of right. matching of 6%, it's a little well, you know, you're, you're yeah. talking about huge numbers. Right. And the easiest way, it is hard to get information from HR or from, and not necessarily HR, but from your, the finance, the 401k provider on that. But the easiest way for us to figure out, I had a few people, like a few clients double check on it that we're maxing early, is to make sure they're getting that true up contribution yeah. which was usually like in January for the prior year, they would be getting an extra 401k matching contribution. And if that's happening, then we know it's all set. Yeah. There is the true up calculation and we didn't have to worry about it. So that's one way to know if, you know, how your employer is doing the matching. So interesting to note, right? It is interesting. Yeah. Okay. So continuing along contribution limit. So 401ks, 403bs can get a bunch of money in there. 22500 for people under 50. Also deferred compen... Sorry, 457s, which are deferred compensation plans. Like the... Like the the smart plan, for example, in Massachusetts, a 457 right. plan. So those same contribution limits, 22500 Under age 50, $30,000 total over... Age 50. Thrift savings um, plan for federal, I think, is a 457 as well. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, then we have simple IRAs, common small small business type 401k type plan, but it's but it's for small businesses, 100 employees or less to have a simple for your company. Yep. Those contribution limits are a bit lower, but the if you have a simple IRA, if you work for a small business and that's their retirement plan, <clears throat> 15,500 over age 50, I'm sorry, under age 50. And where, what's 3, the catch up, Justin? Thank you. 3,500. Why doesn't this sheet show that to me? So $19,000 total is the oh, simple is. IRA limit. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, they're not, I, I would say they're not super common plans. Yeah. It sits in the, it sits in that area between a 401k and a company An that doesn't offer a retirement plan. Yeah. And obviously we manage a few of them, but they're far less common than a, than a 401k is. But again, in, on those, that the same applies. So on a simple IRA, it's generally a more manual process. A lot of, a lot of payroll providers don't, aren't servicing them and they're not, um, watching them quite as closely as they do a 401k. So you want to check on that true up contribution there as well, because oftentimes that's just a payroll person who has to remember to run that true up. Yeah. Yep. Okay. IRA and Roth IRA contribution limits for 2023. So if you're contributing to an IRA on your own or a Roth IRA, $6,500 is your contribution limit for this year for under age 50 and $7,500 for age 50 or older. Important to note that you cannot contribute to an IRA and a Roth. I'm sorry, you can't max an IRA and a Roth IRA in the same year, you pick one or the other, or if you do both, they have to both add up to that total contribution limit. But you can contribute to a 401k 
or a 403b or a SEP and contribute to a Roth IRA if you're income eligible. Let's go over some income eligibility. And then we actually have to talk about IRA deductibility based on income. You get to do that part. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I love getting into this. I love it. All right. Let's talk about Roth IRAs because those are exciting. I talk to a lot of people, especially younger people about Roth IRAs. I love Roths. Most financial professionals do for many situations. They're not all always appropriate, but I think for young people, they're great. And for lower income earners at the time, they're great, especially if they think and if you think income will grow over time. But all right. So to contribute to a Roth IRA, I'm looking at 1000 numbers on the sheet. So hold on. I have to find I have to find it. Here it is. Okay. So in 2023, <laughs> to contribute to I wish I could show people like how small the text is on the oh on God. the sheets that I'm Look looking at. That at. Thing. Good luck with that. <laughs> Um, it's, it's for single. It's in the it's in like the in the mid one hundreds, right? Yeah. So if you're something. single for twenty twenty three, if yep. your adjusted gross income, so not taxable income, but your adjusted gross income, which is line eleven on your federal ten forty, oh, right, I yeah, I'm sure everyone was, will remember that. Yeah, I actually yep. think it's based on modified adjusted income. I think this might be wrong, but to check with your CPA, your tax professional, you can. Put money, you're eligible to put money in a Roth if your income as a single person tax filer is $153,000 or less. If your adjusted gross income, or actually I think it's modified adjusted gross, is between $138,000 and $153,000, you're partially eligible. And yep. if your income is below $138,000, excuse me, you're fully eligible for a Roth. So yeah, so mid, so $153,000 or less, you're either fully or partially eligible to make a Roth IRA contribution. If you're a married couple filing jointly, if your income is below $228,000, your modified adjusted gross for 2023, then you're either fully or partially eligible. Fully eligible if it's $218,000 or less. Okay. And then there's a phase out range, phases out, but like pro rata between the 218 and 228 for a married couple. So if you make more than that, you can't put money straight up into a Roth IRA. I can't pass up the opportunity to talk about Roth conversions. Um, Do we have time for this? Because We have 11 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just, we'll keep it short and we'll say... There are opportunities. They may or may not make sense for you from a tax perspective, but if you're not eligible to add money to a Roth IRA, there might be opportunities. There should, there would be an opportunity for you to convert money to a Roth IRA, but whether or not that makes sense to you from a tax perspective, that depends on your individual situation. And that's something you could discuss with your advisor. But you can, it's, you can, I guess I'm going to say you could always get money into a Roth. It's just a matter of what are the tax ramifications of doing so. So even if you're not eligible, you can convert money to a Roth because right now there's no income limits to convert money to a Roth. But that whether paying the taxes on that makes sense for you or not, that depends. Yeah. All right. That was like a I minute or well- less. The yeah, that's that comes up later in the show. So if you want to just handle it now, we can because we we should spend certainly some more time. I think the the thing about Roth IRA and the reason that you want to review it all the time is because it's a it's an annual decision, right? Because your tax situation can be different every year. It's the kind of thing that you should at least review right every year. And Roth IRA, I think it's even it's an even bigger issue is not the right word, decision when you're doing a Roth 401k. So if your 401k limit right now, you can put in $22,000 
into a Roth IRA. So that's Roth. the cap. Um, 401k, yep. Roth yeah, 401k. Roth, I'm sorry. So Roth yeah. 401k, you can get in $22,000. That's a huge number. And it's the kind of thing that you want to be reviewing on an ongoing basis. I was I was meeting with some clients the other day and it's, it just happens, right? You get to be middle-aged. Sometimes you're busy and then, oh man, I'm, I've been contributing to my my Roth 401k for forever. And now all of a sudden you look up and your income tax bracket is pretty high. Right. Yep. All of a sudden, yeah. we went from back in the old days, we were making $150,000 a year combined. And now all of a sudden we, we show up, we're in our early 50s and we're, we're close to 500000 in, in combined income. And here we are contributing to a Roth when our tax bracket is up right. in the 30% range. Right. And maybe that's not the most appropriate thing for you to be doing at that point in your life. It's a big raise, a bunch of realized income for some other reason, right? If you inherited IRA money, all that stuff can bump up your tax bracket and therefore make Roth more or less attractive. And so it's just the kind of thing that you want to make sure that you're at least taking an annual look at, oh, should I still be doing Roth at all? Is it time for me to switch? That's the kind of thing that you certainly need to be reviewing because it can make a huge difference. Yeah. But again, if you're if if you're in the 12% tax bracket and then five, 10 years later, you're in the 32, all of a sudden the, the calculus on Roth is probably drastically different. Yeah. And a similar conversation like the other way around, whereas I recently had a client with a 403B making maxing and making deductible contributions because most 403Bs that I've seen in my career, they don't haven't offered the Roth, the Roth option. Those are, it's plan specific, whether Roth 401k, Roth 413, 3B are offered by the employer. Roth 403Bs have not been very common. I think they will become, they will be more common in the future because of Secure Act 2.0 legislation at the end of last calendar year where we're offering Roths in these plans will be more common. If not certain situations, they're going to be mandatory. So anyway, I had a conversation recently with a older, higher income earning client with a 403B maxing it out. And uh, he received notice that, oh, there's now Roth option available. And I think we're not the only advisors that sort of tout Roth IRAs and they're wonderful in many situations. And the conversation was, hey, look at this. Let, you know, this is this great. Should we do this? And similar conversation where, okay, first of all, you can't put more into the 403B to take advantage of Roth, you would have to forego some deduction to get money in the Roth. And does that make sense based on your bracket and your age and that stuff? So I think that's going to be common conversations in the coming years as Roth availability and retirement plans becomes more common. And does it make sense to take advantage of that? And again, case by case, even year by year conversation. Absolutely. Do we want to talk about how much time do we have? We've got, oh yeah, we've got five or six minutes. We could finish maybe up these numbers. I did just want to touch on IRAs and de- deductibility. There are, yeah, we, should um, yep. we should, yeah, okay. So, just not to just, just I just not, meant I didn't want to, I didn't want to get, because th- those rules get complicated once your yeah, IRA deductibility gets a little complicated. That's okay. I got it right here in front of me in this Perfect. tech and eight point <laughs> text right here. All right. So with traditional IRAs, again, the limit is 6500 if you're under 50 for this year and $7,500 total contribution if you're 50 or older. So <clears throat> the way it works is that anyone can put money into an IRA, but not everyone can deduct it. And deductibility is based on whether you 
and or your spouse have a retirement plan available to you, like a 401k covered through an employer and what your income is for the year. For example, easy with a single person. You need a matrix. You need a matrix. Yes. I, yep. I have a matrix in front of me. Uh, exactly. You exactly. You absolutely need a matrix. Yeah. These are traditional IRA deductibility rules. So easily illustrated with a single person that is working and has earned income. You have to have earned income to make a retirement plan contribution, but does not have a retirement plan available to him or her through their employer. So maybe right. they work for a small business and the small business is not offering a 401k or similar. So if you're not offered, if you're single and you're not offered a retirement plan through an employer, then you can make an IRA contribution and fully deduct it no matter what your income is. Okay. You could make half a million dollars a year and still take a full deduction because you're not offered a a plan through work. If you're married filing jointly and if neither of the, let's say both spouses are working, neither of the spouses has a retirement plan through their employer. That's also easy. Both of them can contribute, take the full deduction. Where it gets complicated is if one, if you're married and one spouse has a 401k available to them or a retirement plan available to them, then can the other, can the other spouse, for example, make an IRA contribution and can we deduct it? That depends on what the taxable income is. So I won't go over all these, but like just for example, if you're married filing joint and one spouse is covered through their employer, so the other spouse can only take a deduction on an IRA contribution if that uh, if the modified adjusted gross income is less than $218,000. Above that, you're either taking a partial deduction or no deduction at all. So it depends on whether or not there is a retirement plan available to you through work and what your income is. Okay, so it gets a little complicated. And yep. again, there's lots of different situations. Who's making the contribution? Are you married? Are you not married? What's your level of income? So that's best to just tax check with your advisor on that. Those do get a little bit complicated. And we probably would bore people if we got into more detail on that one. Right. But I, I, will editor- I will editorialize a little bit here and say that I don't, I try to have people avoid doing a non-deductible contribution unless it's, uh, unless you're going to be doing a, maybe a Roth conversion right away with a Roth conversion. If you do a non-deductible contribution, you do have to track that cost basis. Yeah. The default right from the IRS's point of view and from your state's point of view is that any distribution from a retirement plan is taxable Mm -hmm. and you have to then, and then it's up to you to say, Oh no, here's my cost basis on my retirement plan. So I'm always worried that, you know, if you're taking a yeah. deductible, a non-deductible contribution, and you're 45, and then you have to keep track of that cost basis until you're 65 or 70, and that's a that that worries me just a bit. People are changing accountants, right? There's a there's that seems dangerous to me. So I do try to, unless you're really on top of your taxes, yeah, I tend to say to maybe try to avoid those. Or unless you have, for example, an advisor, like for if we had that client for that whole 20 year period of time. We could pretty easily pull a report of right. what were your total contributions. So if you're consistent with the professionals you're working with, right. or if you're switching professionals, you're making sure to carry that information over. Uh, yep. Again, we could, and many, most advisors could pretty easily generate that information. But like you said, if you're switching professionals and you're not remembering that stuff, yeah, that's where there could be. That's, that's right. where there could be a gray area. But yeah. Even your yeah. advisor doesn't necessarily, if your advisor and your tax professional are separate, mm-hmm. we could tell them, oh, you made this much in IRA contributions. I don't know exactly what your year to year, did you take a deduction this year? Or did you take a partial that year? It's right. complicated. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. 
You're going to start doing taxes. Again, another reason why you need to be a tax professional. I know. We are. (laughs) I know. That's been in my five-year plan for what, eight years now? (laughs) But it's still in that five-year plan. We're going to call that a three-year plan now. I think we've tightened the time horizon on that. Yes. Hoping to do that. Hoping to do that in the near term. All right. We actually have to take a break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. We're talking about tax-related stuff. Tax time's over. Let's get ready for next, not next year. It's actually like this year. Mm -hmm. Next year's tax filing, I guess you meant by that. We're having a tax planning type show for informational purposes. Very exciting stuff. More to come after the break. (laughs) (laughs) We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. (laughs) 